Use of antiretroviral therapy to reduce HIV transmission between discordant partners is a strategy known as treatment as prevention. But the strategy is not as straightforward as it seems, and there are some caveats that physicians must consider when using it in clinical practice, especially in men who have sex with men. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Paul McPherson, a specialist in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Ottawa Hospital, Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine and the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology and Immunology at the University of Ottawa, and a clinician scientist at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. In their analysis article, Dr. McPherson and his co-author, Patrick O'Byrne, examine HIV treatment as prevention in men who have sex with men. Hello, Dr. McPherson. Uh, Good morning. So tell us about antiretroviral treatment as prevention, what it entails, and what is known about this strategy. So treatment as prevention refers to a strategy of reducing HIV transmission through treatment of HIV-positive individuals. This is, of course, distinct from pre-exposure prophylaxis or post-exposure prophylaxis, where antiretroviral medications are given to the HIV-negative person. Here, we're talking about people already with HIV infection and treating them with antiretroviral medications. Now, of course, this has really important benefit to that individual in simply terms of, of treatment. HIV medications are now very effective and, when taken properly, reduce the amount of HIV circulating in the blood to very low levels. And this is of obvious benefit to the individual. By blocking HIV replication, we're able to preserve their immune system and prevent progression to advanced disease. And now people with HIV on treatment live really normal life expectancies. But by the same means, by reducing the amount of HIV in their body with antiretroviral medication, uh, we can lower the risk of transmitting a virus to an HIV-negative partner, either through sexual activity or needle sharing. The bottom line really is if there's less virus replicating in the body, there is less likelihood of transmitting that virus to someone else. In your analysis article, you focus particularly on men who have sex with men as being a problematic group when it comes to treatment as prevention. Why this focus? We chose to focus on men who have sex with men really for two main reasons. First of all, the Public Health Agency of Canada has provided really good data and they've shown that men with sex with men are actually 71 times more likely to acquire HIV compared to their heterosexual peers. So that's quite quite a large risk. Men with sex with men in Canada make up about 2.6% of the population, but they account for an estimated nearly 50% of new HIV infections each year. And in fact, here in Ottawa, Dara Friedman and Patrick O'Byrne at Ottawa Public Health and University of Ottawa have looked at some data between 2011 and 2014 and find men with sex with men actually account for 77% of recent infections here in Ottawa. So we felt we need to really focus our prevention efforts and education on the population that is really uh, where most of the transmission is actually occurring. The other reason we wanted to focus on men with sex with men is we know the, these men are using the information we give them. So when we look at you know websites, dating websites for men with sex with men, Well, even just what men tell us, uh, you know, on their online profiles, they'll say positive and undetectable. Or guys will come to us and say, oh, my my sexual partner, you know, told me he's positive and undetectable. You know, what does that really mean? So because men are using the information, we want to make sure they, they have a good understanding of what the data really are 
and what the real-world nuances are in using that data. Treatment as prevention has been successful in randomized controlled trials, but observational studies have now shown that this is not necessarily the case in clinical practice. Can you explain this discordance? So we suspect the main reason for this is that in clinical trials, patients are very closely followed and the trials are very tightly regulated, as they should be. But that really differs from, you know, day-to-day standard of care in the real world. For example, in the HPTN052 trial that looked at treatment as prevention, patients were seen every month for the first three months and then every three months thereafter. And several things happened at each of those visits. First, patients were encouraged to use condoms, and they actually reported doing so 96% of the time, likely because of the encouragement. But in the real world, most studies show condoms are used more in the 50 to 70% of the time. Also in the trial, patients were regularly screened and treated for sexually transmitted infections, whether they were symptomatic or whether they were just colonized. So we know STIs increase the chances of both transmitting and acquiring HIV, but screening in the real world really doesn't happen at that same frequency. Third, in the trial, patients were regularly counseled about the importance of medication adherence for the HIV-positive partner. And medication adherence is really essential to maintaining an undetectable viral load. But studies have shown that in the real world, adherence is probably more around 80 to 90%. And lastly, in the studies, patients were very closely monitored. So if there was a rise in the HIV-positive person's viral load, the patients were made aware of that. And this is particularly noteworthy in the partner study. So that if an HIV-positive patient on antiretroviral therapy, if their viral load became detectable, they were actually withdrawn from the study analysis. But in the real world, now that people are doing so well specifically, most people are having their viral loads measured maybe only twice a year. So if the viral load becomes detectable for a short period, patients aren't aware and won't know to abstain from sex during that period. And in the real world analysis, they're obviously not withdrawn from from that analysis. So in clinical studies, patients are very closely monitored and encouraged to use other interventions like condoms. But in the real world, people are really left most of their own devices and are not so closely monitored and screened and counseled. Now, I note particularly in your article that you point out that most data about treatment as prevention arises from samples of heterosexual couples. Is this still the case, or are there more studies now with men who have sex with men as the main component? I think now the partner study has provided data, good data for men who have sex with men. What is the best prevention strategy to limit HIV transmission in men who have sex with men? So this has not been really empirically determined, but in my opinion, the best strategy is combination prevention. Over the years, we've identified a number of methods to reduce HIV transmission, and research has consistently shown that these are most successful when used in combination, as opposed to relying on just one method. So these methods include uh, regular HIV testing for people at risk. So when people know they are positive, they tend to adopt behaviors to reduce the risk of transmission. Condom use, we know this works for anal and vaginal intercourse. Treatment as prevention is an important part of that strategy. Pre-exposure prophylaxis, post-exposure prophylaxis. There are a number of methods now to reduce uh, HIV transmission. It's probably noteworthy that in the HPT and 052 trial, um, there were a few cases of transmission, and this might be because not only was the HIV-positive person on therapy, but as I mentioned, 
condoms were also being used. So there was treatment as prevention and condom use. Uh, in many of the PrEP studies, people were also using condoms. So the HIV negative person was using PrEP, but the couple was also using condoms. The analogy I usually use is, you know, when we drive our cars, we take risks. And we have a number of preventative strategies to avoid injury. Our cars have airbags, but we also buckle up our seatbelts. And we follow traffic rules like stopping for red lights. So there's risk to driving our car, and we use a combination of prevention strategies to reduce our risk of being injured. And I think the same applies for sex. Sex is very common, it's very healthy, and we should use as many uh, prevention strategies as we have available to reduce our risk. And I stress that the research actually demonstrates best that combination of prevention works. So what is your key take-home message for healthcare practitioners? So if I could, I'd have two key take-home messages. One is with respect to treatment as prevention. I think healthcare practitioners should know this is not absolute in reducing the risk of HIV transmission to zero. The real world is far more nuanced. And the second message, I think, is with respect to reducing HIV transmission, combination prevention is what we should be encouraging. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Paul McPherson, a physician and researcher at the University of Ottawa. To read the analysis article he co-authored, visit cmaj.ca.